I want people to think that I made them feel good, empowered them, or gave them gave them something to make their lives better. People aren't gonna remember like, oh shit, remember that commercial that this dude made in the 80s? They don't care about that, but rather they remember how people made them feel. So I hope you remember that. That was Matt Reed, and this is Guild Stories. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke, and father of five young people. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, who happens to be my wife as well. Hey, guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers, who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Okay, gang, so welcome back in to Guild Stories. Um, this one's a fun one. They, they're all fun. They're all awesome stories in and of themselves. But Matt Reed is a guy who, candidly, I don't know well yet. Um, I'm pumped to get to know him more. He, he has, uh, is, has been a mentor of sorts to one of the key members on our team and a, and a good friend of mine, Colin Potter, who, if you've been around us long enough, you you know Colin, you know of Colin. Um, Colin lives in Syracuse, New York, and uh, we're, we're based here in, in KC. Um, but Matt is a guy who, who we'll, we'll hear the story, and he'll tell it better than I can, but um, that Colin has uh, kind of been, you know, unofficially mentored by, and, we, and we've learned a lot vicariously through his experience, and we're super pumped to have him on the show. He's a, he's, and I don't know any other way to describe it, jack of all trades, maybe, <laughs> um, runs, yeah. a market, runs a marketing agency, has a, has a cooking show, um, is a professor at Lemoyne College, like just doing some super, super cool stuff. Uh, and we're, we're really grateful to have you on the show, man. That's my kind of intro, man. I should bring you in all my classes and everything before we get started. <laughs> Deal. As long as you'd return the favor, I'd be, I'd be down with that. So, so man, before we kind of uh, jump in, maybe even winding you all the way back to the beginning, uh, tell, tell our listeners what you're up to, who you are. Give us a quick intro and, and, uh, and, and what you're doing these days, man. Yeah, thanks. So, all right, if we go back to the beginning, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm 42. So it's probably as far back as my goldfish brain will rewind to would be like <laughs> when I was in college. So I um, went to school, small schools, playing football and fraternity, doing the type of things that um, idiots in college do. And I wanted, I realized I wanted to get into like creative fields and I kind of fell in love with advertising at the time. So uh, when I got home to Syracuse, I found this guy that owned an ad agency Um and I said, hey, what do I have to do to get into advertising? And he's like, well, if you can go to New York City and work in one of the biggest firms, the big four firms, then anybody here will have to give you a job. So I moved to New York City, worked construction to get a little bit of money. And then nice. for Ogilvy and May, there is a media buyer before they were bought. That division was bought by Mindshare. Came back to Syracuse, found that dude in a golf course while he was playing golf. And I was like, hey, so I worked at Ogilvy, so now you have to give me a job. And he eventually gave me a job. <laughs> Love so, it. Did that for a while, uh, worked in different agencies, uh, moved from media buying to account servers to creative stuff. Um, and then I, I ended up being the chief operating officer of this firm, the Digital Hive. Uh, now they have like 50 employees, multiple offices. They're, they're awesome. But while I was doing that, I started to teach uh, adjunct professor at um, Syracuse University. And I really, really, really find joy in working with the students. So mm. I was like, man, if I could, um, can we curse on this show? Oh, no, absolutely, dude. Absolutely. You say whatever you want. All right, because I was like, shit, this is this is what's up. If I could find a job where I could teach doing this full time, keep my hand doing creative stuff and stay in the yeah. game, that would be ideal. And one thing led to another, and that's kind of where I am. So I ended up, I, I teach full time at Lemoyne College. I teach advertising, creative theory, some design stuff. I'm not a designer by trade, but um, more of a writer these days. And, uh, and then my buddy and I launched this cooking show. My partner, Alex, and I launched it in July. So um, we're really, what I've been focusing on is really authentic brand storytelling. So mm -hmm. I partner with, I, I sometimes get hired by agencies, sometimes I'll hire them. Really, if something's cool and exciting, I try to get involved with it. So, and my wife is like a, she's a, a super cool person. She also works in advertising. She's the head of a, of a, a national agency that I actually, I used to work at. Um, so yeah, I mean, my story, it, it's weird. It's a... Uh, Every time when well, there are a couple of things like like people get fired from agencies that happened to me once and 
you do different jobs and sometimes you're like, Oh my God, like what's going to happen? This is terrible. And then later on you're like, thank God that happened. So absolutely one of those phases, you know what I mean? Oh dude, that's awesome. Um, let me camp for a minute. What, what, what does authentic storytelling, authentic brand storytelling mean and, and kind of look like to you? Obviously that resonates to, to what we're doing. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's one of the reasons where Colin and I connected well, cause you're showing me the stuff that you guys were doing and, the way that you've approached your brand story and actually your story too, right? Working for the chiefs and then the Niners and all the things that you've done around that to me, authentic brand storytelling, like a, a really good, I always try to distill a town down to a person. Like if you close your eyes and I'm like, like I'm in a room right now with a, with a friend of mine, Stefan, who's overseeing a bunch of stuff. If someone were to say, how do you describe Stefan? I could describe him a bunch of different ways, but if you close your eyes and think about that, what typically you do is you'll think about how that person makes you feel. Mm. And like when I'm around him, he's a, a good listener. He's funny. We have similar interests. So a brand should do the same thing. Like, I mean, there are people that have John Deere tattoos on their arms, right? Or you'll be driving on the road and see somebody that has like a, an Apple sticker on their car because yeah. they, they love the brand so much. Yeah. And as much as I teach those people because they're eye holes and they're obsessed with the Apple brand, um, that was my eye hole joke. But <laughs> I like it. <laughs> students, my students don't like it. They're all obsessed with that. So, That's good. So, but my thing is, though, if, if it's a brand that you can fall in love with, like a person, um, something that, that can make you feel something, like Nike is a great example of an authentic brand. Those dudes, uh, and, you know, they created their brand, but their mission statement is if you have a body, you're an athlete, and they can get um, an overweight kid at 16 years old that wants to find a date to the prom and an elite level major league baseball right. pitcher their brand and say, yo, I, I need this to get me better. So that's right. That's the thing that, that, that really attracts me that I, I'm trying to help people. Them, when I do speaking engagements, oftentimes it's on branding and that's one of the first stories I'll tell. It's a great story, man. And, and, um, gosh, it, it makes me chase all sorts of squirrels here, but dude, like, I, I guess let me, let me phrase it this way. Where are you seeing that not being true? Where are you seeing that being inauthentic? Or how are you seeing in the kind of marketing, advertising, storytelling landscape? Um, wh where's the void in that reality? Uh, it's everywhere. So right now, I, like I, I was trying to tell someone the other day, the best way I could explain this without insulting their brand, because I was insulting their brand. Like, <laughs> right. Absence. There's an absence of authentic storytelling right now. And um, I'm all for parody and satire. That stuff works. But You'll see, like, for a while, there was a, a bunch of hot trends about screaming goats, right? And I, I, I love me a screaming goat. Any type of animal, I'm in. But that meme got popular. And then within the next week, you saw six brands have a commercial with the same exact, like, mm -hmm. screaming goat meme. Mm -hmm. Or like, Portugal Demand, that song came out. It's a dope song. Um, feel it still. I'm not, I'm not hating on it. I love the song. But I heard it, and then all of a sudden I saw it in a Pepsi commercial, then it's on a Toyota commercial, then it's on something else. So authentic storytelling now, on what happens is you see people like, yo, hashtag YOLO, I want to slap those people. Or like, <laughs> living my best life. It's like, okay. You know, it, it's like when someone says that they're humble, if someone tells you they're humble, they're not humble. I'm not a humble man, and you'll never hear, you'll never catch me saying I'm <laughs> But when people are like, oh, I'm, I'm just being humble. No, you're not, because humble people don't need to say that. So That's right. on social media and everything, people are just trying to – they. First, they're looking at what do people think is cool, and then I'm going to make my brand about that instead of the other way around. What do I think is cool? And, and, and you know, for me personally, my personal brand, um, I suffered from that too. Like that's something that I, I try really hard to do as a human is really put a lot of effort into my friendships and relationships and not try to jump from one crowd to the more popular crowd. And when I was a younger person, I did that. So I'm not like I'm, I'm, I personally have lived through having to build and repair my brand the way that I really want to be seen. And I think that's, that's the authenticity that comes into it. Yeah, man. That's so good. Uh, I'm sure you, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this and, and many more, but you know, the Dwayne Wade, Anheuser-Busch four minute, you know, yes. quote, quote unquote commercial, right. With the jerseys um, last year when he retired, like I see that stuff. And of course, like, Anheuser-Busch has a marketing agenda and they want to sell beer. They want to um, grow share and they want to steal from Miller Coors, the whole thing. But like um, I watched that video and I'm like, that's the kind of damn stories I want to tell at Guild Content, right? Like that kind of stuff is like, man, that's not the quippy, funny. And funny's fine, right? Just like you said. Um, but that tapping into that deeper, because as much as we all want to think, man, we're super logical and we make decisions based on fact, it's like, we're such emotional creatures, dude. And if we can't connect to emotion, what are we doing? That spot. I mean, 
I've used it in class a bunch of times. Like I, I get teary eyed thinking about that spot because it's genuinely authentic and yeah, they're selling beer, but you can, I mean, I like to drink beer and I, I also get emotional and teary eyed. Like that spot was authentic to the brand. Like, and That's also right. they're otherwise you're that dope commercial that was like, we're it has like, um, a bunch of women dancing at a reception, like drinking beer. They're all drinking champagne. One girl has a beer or it's like not sip, not for sipping. It shows the Red Sox, like pouring Budweiser's over their head after winning the championship. And it was reestablishing like we're a badass American brand. So I, I think like Nike too, like um, we, from an academic standpoint, I, I, I use this example, but Nike's move for Kaepernick, that was brilliant. So, uh, and that, that returned them to authenticity. So Nike forever, like for you and I, when we were growing up, like Nike has always been the dominant player in, in the sneaker game. Like do they Jordan, Bo, like Bo Jackson. Oh yeah. oh yeah. That's what got me to want to do advertising. Danny Hardaway. So, yep. All of it. Yep. Awesome. So, then, you know, Under Armour steps up in the game and Adidas and these brands start also telling authentic stories because they've found their own personalities. And Nike all of a sudden found themselves a couple of years ago as no longer being the top dog in the game. So they went back and, and they it was formulaic. I mean, I, I don't work for Nike. I have no affiliation with them, though. Nike, if you're listening, call me. I'd love to do some work for you. Um, <laughs> Same. They, you know, so they sit there and they're like, all right, let's look at this. We need to get back in the game and let's look at our target audience. And these millennials that now have disposable income they love the idea of social justice and they stand for something. And they're like, well, if we do this Kaepernick story, cause we've had them on the shelf for a while, what are we going to do? We're going to lose some, we're going to lose some people are going to burn our shoes. They knew that was going to happen, but they're like, you know what? If it's the old fat white guy that buys his Nikes off the rack and Marshall's for $25 a, a pair, fine, let them go. Because the, the younger people are going to see this and be like, if they stand for something, so do I. So I know people that actually like don't necessarily have a massive opinion one way or the other on the Kaepernick situation. But the fact that Nike made a stand on something was like, okay, this brand's back and they were rewarded for it. Right. It was their highest blue chip stock rating of all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm when brands are willing to stand for something um, that, and not for the sake of it, right? Like you can't be like, that's like someone coming in and finding a way to work into the conversation if they have gay friends. Like I was like, you know, like cool, bro. I, I'm a huge supporter <laughs> of gay rights. But I don't, I don't label my friends like that. And, I, and I, I'm certain, 100% certain that I did years and years ago. But when brands can be like, how can I authentically make this part of the conversation? Then it's empowering. And it's not like, you know, it's not the United Colors of Benetton or something cheesy like that. But it's like, I get it. <laughs> believe in it. Yeah, dude, it's so good. Um, where Where is that met with resistance? Like, uh, and maybe even specifically as you're, as, as you're thinking, as I'm thinking through your lens of, of educating, you know, young college aggressive kind of hungry on the front end of their career like it, does that concept land with them quickly is that something that they struggle with like um you know they they grew up in the content creation landscape like uh, uh, as opposed to us right like we we rode our bikes and went to knock on our neighbor's door to see if he could play um so d does that concept land is it hard for them to wrestle with like how, how's it how's it play out in the the 20 somethings you know, that's a great question for, and, and the answer um, surprises some people, I guess, but they, they, it's like, you just gave them a bowl of cereal and it's awesome cereal and they just hammer it. Like they eat it up. Yeah, but of course. People that are in their forties, like I'm 42 and I've met with clients. I've done some work with clients now and all of them um, are great to work with. Um, and I've had other clients too, they're great to work with, but sometimes people will be resistant to a somewhat aggressive idea. And I tend to favor those type of ideas personally. But like, uh, like I did some work for uh, some of my friends and I did this, um, the creative development and marketing and advertising for um, the mayor of Syracuse, this guy, Ben Walsh, who's a really good man. Oh, cool. My wife was on his committee and um, she was like, they're looking for like a, some, some marketing and stuff like that. And she, their firm, a lot of people don't want to get necessarily jump into politics. And I don't always want to do that. But I was like, I don't know, man, this guy has no shot to win. He's the white son of a Republican congressman in a predominantly black and democratic city this dude's gonna get smoked and i'm too busy and i want to play golf blah 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 <laughs> so, so right. i'm like all right I'm, you know what i'm gonna do the right thing because i've been asked to and come up with what i think would be a different cool idea so we go into the meeting and i'm like i'm gonna pitch the couple of creative concepts that i think are good ideas um and a little aggressive and then he will say and the rest of the people on the committee will say oh man those are cool not what we're looking for have a good day and then nobody's feelings are hurt nice so, to meet you bro yeah right Exactly. So I dropped the idea and he's like, that's awesome. Let's do it. So can you tell us what the idea was or is that not no, cool? I mean, they ended up being, they ended up being two of the spots, um, TV spots that we ended up uh, using. One of them was like a playoff of the Kanye West through the wire. Awesome. Um, video. And we pitched it like that. Like, yo, watch this video. It's basically this. 
And then um, we did another one where, because awesome. he's younger. Yeah, well, the, I mean, what we realized too was we had to show he's such a good human being. He was running against someone who, um, she, I think she had a lot of experience. She's a minority veteran, um, lawyer, Democrat, and he's independent, not related to, not affiliated with any party. And both parties think he's a spy for the other party. So how do we get this person to connect? And what we did was like, if you're around him, this dude like just loves the city of Syracuse. Like when we were trying to film spots, I'd, I'd turn around and he'd be gone and I'd look in the window of an apartment building and he'd be in there having coffee with some old lady and they'd have to fish him out of there. So the idea was we came up with was almost, we thought of the idea of like a Nike commercial where um, we filmed him running around different parts of the city and had a cool music that he narrated talking about this is my experience this is and running by buildings that he helped build and different things like that and all of a sudden it did more than humanize it because it wasn't making him necessarily a hero shop but saying look here's someone that's working just as hard as the city is uh if you want the city to get better and and healthier get up in the morning and put on your shoes and run with this dude and th that's what we ended up using oh dude that's so cool that is so fun yeah, I, I, I'm like wanting to go to YouTube and watch that right now. I'll send you the links. Okay, good. we'll put it in the show notes, man. Um, so, man, I, I could have this kind of branding and emotional connection story all day. Do, do you feel like there's a a shift, you know, a, a big, broad kind of brushstroke here, but is there a shift to the storytelling concept that, that also then tracks back to what every – business owner or VP of marketing is, is being asked to do, which is grow revenue. Like is, are there direct ties either from an academic perspective or just anecdotal that you're going, Hey, not only is it better and connects to the human experience better, but it actually also, and, and you used one already with Nike, which is a brilliant one. Um, but, but are, are you seeing that from an academic perspective come through in data? Yeah, that that's, that's an awesome, awesome question. I love where you're thinking with that. So I, I don't have any, data off the top of my head to like make that to make that case but to me i i don't think we need data to do that the idea of anything of a story and like what we teach anyways uh, my colleagues in, in in my department who are all much better and smarter and, and more creative than i am they we're, we're a community of storytellers but that's the thing everything is right everything is a story and if you look at your story whether it's a failure or a crisis or something that you got broken by or you learn from the story is what keeps you going. It's why people watch movies. It's why, like, um, you know, I, I always think about, like, one of my favorite is, um, is Gin and Juice by Snoop. Well, and wouldn't it be? We grew up in the yeah. 90s, bro. No doubt. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. That song is about the sickest house party ever because his mom is gone, right? And it takes him a story through him, like, hitting on the, his buddy's ex-girlfriend in the street to him getting so high and drunk, he's got to back up off of it and set his cup down because his homie Dre comes through with a bunch of really good weed and and um, and more liquor, right? But it's the storyline that pulls you through that. And the same with companies like Jack Welch just passed away. And one of my favorite sayings ever was Jack Welch saying, change before you have to. And that's because in Jack's story and in GE's story and in everyone's story, everyone will change because you are often forced to change. Like in New York State, people get are, are flipping out. Oh my God, I, I have to bring my own bags to the grocery store? Dude, in three months, you're going to forget about that problem. You're uh -huh. going to change being forced to. So to me, if you look at business and revenue growth, all of that stuff changes because of you changed in your story. We realized we had to hire more people. I need to hire a marketing department. We had to get investors. We changed this part of the product. All of the changes and those things, that's the story. And to me, and maybe it's just me because I come from um, the marketing world and the creative part of marketing because um, I'm not very good at operational marketing like um, at all. So me either, you know, uh, I think it's cool and it's super awesome. Go you and we'll take care of the other stuff, but that all of it comes from a storytelling and, you know, even the operation stuff, I think about this thing that I learned in business school and I use, um, Irish spring soap. What type of soap do you use? Dude, same. Okay, the blue so, kind, not the yeah, green one. Right. Okay. I I'm, I'm the green one. I think the blue one, I don't know if I can pull it off. <laughs> it clashes with my old, with my old spice swagger body spray. <laughs> which I do wear. Um, but if I'm dressing up, then I'll wear like a Calvin Klein thing like I'm going to do my wife. So, so anyways, back to the what happened though, like when you think about the stories that go into that, people look at people's life stories to make marketing business decisions, creative decisions. So old, if you look at um, uh, Irish Spring Soap there, every once in a while, you're going to see like a block of like 12 bars of soap at a really good price. The reason why that is, that's a marketing creative decision. And what happens is they realized at one point, like Dove was launching a new men's care line. And Dove 
knows how to tell a story. Like the real women of beauty, like that is Dude, brilliant. Brilliant. Right? Money. So they're about to launch a men campaign and everybody in the soap industry is like, shit, homeboys over here going to drop a men line and gonna like wipe us up. So what they did was they realized the people that typically are shopping for that product are, are often the women in the, in the household or a single man or whatever, but they'll go in and see like a week before or a month before the new product line by Dove drops, Irish Spring drops this 12 pack. So you buy it. And even though Irish Spring was going to take a little bit of a loss on it, right? Now you've got soap for two months. So yeah. when the new stuff campaign drops, other things happens. You don't need soap for a month or two. So, I mean, and, and me, I go through, it takes me a bar. I only shower like once a week. So a bar of soap <laughs> lasts me a while. You and my son both. That's weird. How funny. Yeah, 10-year-old son. He's like, no, I, yeah, dad. I mean, I, like I showered last, I think it was Thursday. It's like, Dude, yeah, come I got, on, man. You smell. You got too much stuff to do, dad. Come on, you man. Smell. Don't hold me down. You smell. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, but, dude, that's brilliant. It's tactical, but it's brilliant. Yeah. And the tactical thing too, that's the thing about storytelling, right? So when you're, when you're creating stories and actually I'm going to use a quote that, um, that your boy, Justin dropped on some of my students. Cause we had him come in and talk to these people. Colin, you mean, right? I just want to make sure. Col What's that? Colin said that, right? Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. You're good. Um, so Con walks in there. Sorry, Justin Con walks in there and he's with, like, with okay. his, with his Lululemon tight pants on probably. Yeah. He, he looks good too. Like at first, like I saw like people just I'm like, why is everything? I mean, I think he's awesome, but he hasn't talked yet. Then I look at him like, oh, that's why. <laughs> so uh, anyways, he's talking about it. And he said something that resonated with me. And it goes back to that tactical thing that you're talking about that still relates to storytelling. He said, it's about making the customer, like most brands that are just going through the motions, they act like the brand is the hero. Yeah. But a good brand makes the customer the hero. And that tactical move, right? If you go into something and a smallest thing like Secret Women's um, Deodorant had this has a campaign that was running. It was awesome. It would show a girl like in the bathroom with her arm under the air blower and um, getting ready for a job interview or another woman practicing her asking for a raise to fight the gender pay gap. And it's all organic and authentic. And what that is, is that's tactically, creatively, tactically recognizing, yo, girl, I know this is going to be part of your day. We understand you at this level. P.S. Next time you buy deodorant, maybe buy ours. That and that that to me is what advertising marketing should be. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how many times, whether it's an ad or um, a promotion or something, I'll try something. If it connected with me, like, oh, I totally get you. That's part of my life. I'm going to try that. Um, that that's part of it. Like, like one of the things we're working on right now for for someone, um, they do. Uh, it's a really cool gym. It's a gym that I work out. The gym that Colin works out at. And some of the students are doing some cool creative ideas to help their their business but they want to keep it authentic and their whole deal is about like badassery and like living your regular awesome. life like you got to live your life so one of the ideas they like i'll come in there and like and i like to think i'm a pretty strong guy but my body weight doesn't change because i eat and drink like 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 it's like it's my last like i'm getting executed the next day <laughs> so these guys will like basically we we're talking about different ideas and one of the things was what if we partnered with a pizza shop and printed custom printed pizza boxes like Hey, you want to have that last slice of pizza? Totally cool. Sign up and work out and you can get, you know, eat all the pizza you want. Stuff like that. So that, that creative aspect of it hasn't been massaged down yet, but the idea distilled is perfect. Like, um, and totally that's cool. not a lie. I've sat there at a bar, been like, you know what, dude, I, I did six sets of six on the bench today. I'm going to have myself another beer and I deserve um, it, bro. Let's yeah, go. That, and that, that's, that's, that, that, tactical level i think is still a good part of of storytelling man and and i'm, I'm glad homeboy colin said that because it's so it, it's so fascinating and, and maybe this has been your experience too but for me which what, what's been really interesting is that that makes sense at like a at a logical level it's really difficult at least um no, let me say it this way when when we're sitting with owners of small businesses or you know fairly high level marketing VP type CMO type folks saying that in a boardroom, people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like let's look at it through the lens of the customer and the end user and whoever's visiting the website or looking at the tweet or whatever. Right. Like it's easy to acknowledge that that's true. And then when you ask them to do it or say it or position it in a way that would actually connect to the, the woman on the job interview with her sweaty armpits, right? Like to, to, to get into her shoes it feels like you're speaking a foreign language, honestly. Like people are like, wait, but like, how do you, what do you say? Like, how do you do that? What do you, <laughs> and so um, that's what's been so fun for us is to try to try to 
shift, and, and it is a, it's a subtle nuance, but it's such a giant, it, it's no different than me trying to understand my wife's experience or understand her pain or her sadness or her frustration, right? Like to be able to empathetically go into somebody else's experience without the baggage of, of your own is damn hard, man. But it's, but it's transformative to the marketing story. It's absolutely transformative. I agree so much. Like for the, in the boardrooms, you maybe sometimes you bring data or like personas or something to kind of tell the story or even bring in one of the target audiences and coach them up on how to talk about it. But yeah, like that, that, that thing, it's funny. Um, I, I think about this with my students and like with our cooking show, um, a lot of times. So I think about George R. R. Martin and my man wrote game of Thrones dope as hell. And someone once asked him, how do you write women so well? And he pauses and he's like, Oh, it's easy. I, uh, I write them like they're people. Mm. And I remember reading that. It's been like, Oh shit. Um, Oh shit. Am I not thinking about women as people? Because now I feel awful, but <laughs> it's kind of in the fact that the first step is, yeah, right. Think about everybody as just being, having a human experience. But then the next level thing though, is like, there's like, I, I've, um, there's a lot of feminine brands I'd love to work on some that I have worked on and I'm capable of doing that. But the best way to do it, you have a diverse team, right? Have some women, have some people of different, um, I mean, and the industry screwed up, but I'll talk about that in a second, the advertising industry. But you work with people of different diversities and start to see things in their shoes and you're gonna totally get it. Um, and, and that, like I always think about the all, and I use this in classes, is the always uh, hashtag like a girl campaign. And that was brilliant. And usually this is how you sell a tampon. You put a woman in a white bathing suit and have her go hang gliding and say, when you're on your period and you wear this tampon, you're Wonder Woman. <laughs> Um, and use a lot of blue backgrounds and green backgrounds. So they make this campaign about like insulting girls. When you say someone, oh, you throw like a girl. So they're like, let's make like a girl mean something. And that commercial like kicked like, ass, kicked major that, ass. Yeah, dude. You're like, what? So I have four daughters. So I was like, yep, all, yes. always done. And once you've gotten into like, and you've spent time with people of different backgrounds, whether it's gender or eight. Um, Cause like one the only area, like my students, they, they embrace the idea of change and they're super aggressive thinkers and they're not my students. They're just, they're, they're the, the world students, I guess, but they're the ones I get to interact with. The only challenge that, that, that becomes difficult for me and for them. Um, and something we're trying to relate on like our cooking show and other things is you gotta be authentic to it, but understand like how older, like they, like in their mind, once you turn 30, you're, you're, you're basically dead. So from creative stuff, they're like, Okay, like I'm like, why would this resonate with like a 45 year old? And they're like, oh, because like you can get three beers for the price of one. I'm like, no, dude, I'm I'm not doing that. Um, so what <laughs> happens? Like I, we talk about, like I go to Florida. I'm visiting my parents next week in Florida. It's gonna be well, it'll be a week after this airs, week before. It's awesome. You go down there, and everybody my dad's age rocks these like vented fishing shirts. Uh huh. Yep. They look stupid as hell. I'm like, what the hell, dude? Are we like, are we plumbing some Marlin today? I thought we were gonna go down to this bar and drink some beer. Like, no, my shirt's cool. And you walk in the bar, Bahama, bro. and other dudes wearing Tommy Bahama shirts, and then see my dad like, "Hey, Chris, great shirt." And I, then I had to pull myself back. I'm like, "Hey, man, that's not my demographic, so I need to recognize that that's the case." Like, I for a while would make fun of some of the original ads for like the seltzer products, um, and then I would see now it's crossed over into men are drinking them and things like that. But we all of us, creative people, and especially clients, need to recognize that. Um, the board member for Burger King is not an 18 to 34 year old that's male. Right. That's right. Yeah. Think about how they think. And I think that's one of the big challenges. Dude, so good. So true. So speaking of Burger King and food, um, you've mentioned the cooking show, but I, I genuinely don't know anything about it other than it's got a, an, an amazing name. So what's up with that? All right. So the, the, the show is called Spatchcock Funk, and it's dope food plus strong drinks equals great stories. And the, the concept behind it is pretty simple is that to, to me and my partner, um, every time we're hanging out with our friends, we're cooking up food, we're drinking, or we're at a bar, we're getting different things that are going on. And great stories come from that, but that's also where you tell great stories. So whether like, uh, you know, my mom making like a, a Sunday dinner, or I remember camping my dad and my dad making just the best, the best like hot dogs ever. And homeboy just threw a hot dog on a stick and ran it over a fire. <laughs> but those, those type of experiences translate. So the show, um, we've been thinking about this for years and kept threatening to, to make it. And our friends were like, that sounds cool. You guys should do that. And then we find it kind of felt validated and didn't do anything about it. So last summer, we decided to get it up and we got it off in the middle of July. 
And we're like, oh, if we get like a couple, if we get like 3,000 views or something in one year, we'll keep going. And we've exceeded that. So we've had restaurants come and join us. People that have seen the show been like, oh, can I be a guest in the show? Or um, brands are starting to engage with. And we have, we're trying to get more followers. And it, it remains authentic because we've had some people ask us like, hey, do you want to come and shoot in our restaurant? And we're like, that really doesn't fit our brand. It's, I don't want to say it's meat forward, but it's super meat forward. You know, we throw bacon and, on everything and deep fry. Why wouldn't you? All the time because you got to. Um, so that, that what we're doing with it is basically finding a way to, to, for viewers to see that and say, oh, you know what, I'm going to make this dish at my next party or be like, that's a pretty, like every, every show will have either a story or a joke built into it. Um, we've had guests, like I mentioned the mayor earlier, he was really gracious enough to come in and get on our show. And he told a pretty funny story about how he got sunning in his hair as a kid because he was trying to impress girls when he was in eighth grade. And he came to school and it was just one stripe of blonde hair. So everybody called him skunk boy for a year. So it was playing oh so those type of things, it's that authentic feeling that we're trying to tra translate and, and it's working so far and we're, we're working hard on it. What are the, you know, from a content creation perspective, like what are the, um, not that they're secrets or hacks or tips or whatever, but like as you've gotten this new entity off the ground, as it's, as it's in the universe and doing its thing and, and is a thing, what are some of the like, I don't know, back, back of the house secrets or, or lessons you've learned along the way to, to yeah. sustain it. Well, 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 I'll share as many of those as I can, but we still got a lot more to learn. The first thing I would tell anybody about doing something creative, especially like creating like a YouTube show or um, something where, where it's going to involve video stories or anything like that is find a good partner, someone that you can trust. Like my, like my partner, Alex, he's an amazing videographer. He's a great creative leader and he, he does that for a living. He's worked at ad agencies. He's also a great checkpoint. Like I'd be like, yo, this is dope. He's like, that's stupid. We're not doing that. <laughs> um, so one, have a, a good partner that can be a checkpoint that can do work that you can trust and say like at, at, at 1230 at night, they can text him like, oh my God, should we do this or that? So that's number one. Number two is the idea of um, the first thing before even thinking about all the cool creative ideas, there's two major, major things that everyone should do. The first one is make a real commitment to it. Like, cause you know, you think about corporate newsletters Everyone's like, we're gonna do a weekly newsletter. Then it turns into a monthly newsletter. Then it's a quarterly newsletter. Then it's like a yearly report because whenever we're, I'm gonna start an Instagram or a blog and then all of a sudden, so you need to make sure that you're yeah. committed to creating the content. But the next thing though, is make sure you define and decide what your brand is. The brand might change over time, but stick with that brand is and then have a brand filter and be like, okay, like if someone's gonna make, oh, we're gonna make, um, apple slices dipped in some healthy sugar alternative that's not going to be on brand for us um that's so, not really dope food man yeah it's, it's definitely not <laughs> um so what we do so from there right so now you've got your you're developing your brand and then don't be afraid to fail like like you're going to get people comment on there like oh dude um you need to go on a diet whatever it might be so those two things are people have are, said that uh no but that, there's comments that are like that like i mean Haters are going to hate. You just got to deal with it. That but sucks. And that's, that's, that's the game. I mean, that's just how it goes. So, and I probably do need to go on a diet, but my diet so far consists of like bacon, you know, bacon and beer and liquor and stuff. <laughs> so what happens from, from that point is the next thing tip I got for people um, is once you go back and look at the data, watch yourself. Like if you want to do this, like I, 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 we make our students do this. Um, we, we, I teach them how to do uh speech writing and, and media coaching. And to do that, I make them record themselves on their cell phone, giving a speech and then to go back and critique it. And every time I they see hate it, I bet I hate, I bet they hate doing that. They do. They despise it. But when it's done, they're like, all right, I guess I kind of get it. Um, and I like, I'm the same way. Like we'll watch a video and like my wife will see it or someone will be like, yo, that was awesome. And I'll go back and do it. And like, I'm not Robert De Niro, dude. I'm like a, a a chubby hack dude that likes to cook and drink and that's got a couple jokes, but I'll watch it and be like, Oh my God, is that what I sound like? Like, and going into it, like you're being funny and you're laughing and everything. You're like, Oh, my arms look big or like something like that. And then you look at it, you're like, Oh my God, why didn't someone tell me that shirt was so tight? <laughs> but it was probably Colin's shirt, his extra medium, <laughs> but, it, but an extra medium on him looks good. You know? <laughs> that's right. um, it's like magic. So with the, so yeah, I mean, that's basically like get used to get, get used to yourself and be comfortable with yourself. And then the rest of that stuff will, will follow me because if you're able to make somebody laugh or you, if you have a group of friends and someone once said to you, nice shirt, or I like that hat, congratulations, you've got some creativity and people are interested in it. So just run with it. 
It's so awesome, dude. I, I, I'm curious. You've you mentioned a couple times, kind of your your writing bent, your writing background, your writing process, um, and, and it's got to relate to the show. And, and it's a obvious leading question here, but like, do you just create content when you feel like creating content? Oh man, that's an awesome question. So my my writing background, I didn't start doing the creative aspect of stuff till later in my career, like. Uh, mid I, oh man this is awful because i'm gonna say like it's mid, mid to late 20s but i guess that was early in my career now because i'm an old ass man but me too dude when you start to figure that out like oh man i can do this like wait if i can make people laugh at the bar why can't i do it in a radio spot so for my process i, I used to be like i have to be in the right mood to do it but you got to figure out how to get yourself in the mood um and whether that like some people my wife when she's doing stuff she cranks up music like like lake street dive is her jam um alabama shake she'll she'll yank that stuff way up and then just plow through work for me i'll like listen to something and get pumped up about it and then i might need to be by myself in a coffee shop coming with ideas i'll also go and watch a lot of different things that might mm -hmm. not even be related to like writing stuff for the cooking show like my partner and i will come up with an idea i'll come back and map out the steps and maybe work a couple jokes into it he'll come back and like no that's not funny or like that's a good story and then we'll go back and forth on it. But to me, um, being able to come up with a good story, uh, you have to be able to come up with a good story on the spot or at least be able to do it when you're not in the mood because um, it's not like you're asking someone to do something without consent. So, and I, I reference that because being in the mood to, to write creatively is different than being in the mood to like engage with someone sexually or like go have a beer or something. But when you're being asked to do a job like this writer's block and, and these type of things, you need to figure out a way to teach yourself. Well, how can I get myself in a position mm -hmm. where I can create something interesting? And some people fall into traps. Like I know some, some creative people in the industry, some people are friends of mine. They can only, they're like, I can only work when I smoke a couple joints. And it's like, that's not really true. That's um, what you told yourself. You, right, 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 right. But right. you told yourself that now. So now it's become like a trigger for you. So whatever it might be, and maybe, I guess maybe it's true for them, but, but if you can figure out a way like to, okay, Maybe it's like, I'm really better in the mornings or the evenings or whatever, then block time off to do that. And then also figure out what it is that you need to tell a good story. So for me, it might be some research or I might look at what some of the competitors are doing and either hate on it and how do we do something different or pick what they do good. But um, each of us need to figure out a way that we are able to be our funniest or most emotional, stuff like that. Yeah, man. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you went down that road because I think, I don't know this, but, but I, uh, maybe it's just my own baggage here, but it's like, I think there's so many people who, who let themselves off the hook of being quote unquote creative. And they're like, Oh dude, that's not me. Not creative. Like that's somebody else's thing. I'm like, no, no, no. Like you could, if you sat down and did the work and just, just unearth the thing, whatever it is, drawing, writing, playing music, um, creating something graphically, what, what even like organizing a spreadsheet could be art in creativity. And, and, but, but I think we've got this, um, you know, the Stephen Pressfield language of, of resistance or whatever, but like, we've got this, uh, shame or reluctance or, um, it's, e it's far easier to say, yeah, man, like someday I'll start the website or someday I'll do the cooking show or someday I'll write the book. Um, because intention can, can feel good, but, but then you don't actually do anything. <laughs> like, it's just, um, I, I don't even know where I'm going with it. It just feels. No, no, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because yeah, I mean, the, the having an idea and then like, I, like, and then someone says, oh, it's a good idea. They validate it. And then you put it back on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing that holds fuel back. I think, um, I have a friend of mine who's written a screenplay and, um, he's a really talented guy and then he'll tell me where the development is and then he like will just put it back for a while mm. um but you know I, the, the thing about people thinking that they're not creative is funny um i have a friend of mine who one of my favorite people to hang out with is a buddy of mine and he's an accountant and um we like we'll tease him about being an accountant and stuff like that but he's just hilarious and he's like well like he called me to ask him to help with something he has a business thing he's talking about and they wanted some creative ideas he was talking about and i'm like dude you're actually funnier than i am you could you can come up with that. He goes, well, I'm an accountant. I'm like, well, what, what does that mean? So, uh, you know, if you're like, if you, if you're able to make people laugh or make people feel good or whatever it is, or, or you can wear an outfit and feel like I picked this out on my own and I look cool in it. Creativity is, is way more widespread than people think, right. but the yeah, people that right. have it though, what happens is some of them um, try to like bogart it and like gatekeep it and be like, yo, well, I'm, I'm a real creator. You're just a YouTube person and I'm writing Oscar winning movies. Like, all right, 
um, that's cool, but there's there's enough creativity. And now with with the advent of social media and podcasts and everything, dude, there's so much content. No, there, there's never going to be like if someone's ever like, I can't find anything interesting to listen to or to watch or whatever. You're crazy. You're lying. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, I, I want to ask one more question on the storytelling piece. And then I, I, I also we, we've got a wrap here in about 10. So I want to be mindful of your time. Um, so. The story, you know, storytelling, when it when it results in big sales or big growth or big market share leaps or whatever is great. The, the piece that I think we we at least for me naturally want to avoid or not talk about are, are the every story has huge adversity or huge pain. Um, and, and again, whether that's like a, a commercial story or that's a real life story, um, the, the ones that we're living every day. The, the only way to get to the redemption is through some fiery piece of hell. <laughs> and so how, how do you, as you're thinking, you know, kind of from a brand architecture perspective or the authentic brand storytelling, which I love that phrase that you used, um, how do you reconcile that like, hey, we can't deny that the only way this is actually a really good story is through the pain. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I, it, it's... I love that you brought that up because this has been something that's bothered me since I was a little kid. And um, so for good storytelling, advertising, anything, you've got to manufacture a crisis because it's the crisis that makes the rest of the story interesting, right? Like um, a league of their own, you know, Dottie's going to leave and the league might fold. And then that kind of pulls you back into the story. I remember like thinking about like the Harry Potter books and the movies. Um, everybody loves those. So and I'm probably a Slytherin, which is good for good for the Slytherin house, I hope. But um i haven't worn the sorting hat yet so i don't know so well i would watch those movies and I'm like oh dude i don't hear about these side adventures i just want to see the daily life like i want to i want to i want to go to class there for a week like just make a movie where it's just that but when you do that those movies those stories become boring um what you might do in a commercial you might just sit down and have someone show here's my awesome life it's this product but instead what you usually do is create this crisis that someone needs the product or the service or whatever to help them get better and solve that and an even bigger step for that, for that authentic storytelling is when you're manufacturing that, I shouldn't say manufacture, it's not the right thing. When you're creating and highlighting the crisis that your, your hero um, experiences to, to Colin's point, the audience, that's the hero. So yeah, find a relatable thing they can relate to. And oftentimes, like for me anyways, like uh, right now, I don't know, I'm probably gonna die of a heart attack tomorrow because things are going pretty well for me in my life. Um, I, and there's other things that are stressful and everything, but, um, Every, if I look back now in my life, almost all of the crises that I've experienced, almost all of them were created by my own hand, mm. either by a bad decision I made or a decision I failed to make. Mm. And it's a hard thing to look back on, but in reality though, it, it helps you as you make decisions going forward. So to make it human, a human experience, be like, hey, like sometimes something random happens, like a family member gets sick or something that's obviously out of your control and awful. But when you're telling a story, people can relate to, oh my God, I did that too. I yeah, once had, yeah. you know, um, catch up on my face for a job interview, um, you know, <laughs> those type of things. It, whether it's small or big, it's that type of thing that I think people are like, oh, you're a human just like I am. Mm. Mm. Uh, amen, bro. And and you've got this, you, you, I mean, you exude it, but you've got this natural energy that brings people oh, into, to, to your story, man. And, um, and, and I think, you know, the, 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 the days of, Hey, we're going to, you know, think about from an advertising or, or a marketing perspective, the days of board level decision, not insightful, not empathetic. We're going to pitch you a product, right? Like even that, that language is brutal. Like we're going to, we're going to push this product to you and hope that you buy it. And, 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 and more than hope, we demand that you buy it because we say it's awesome. Like, no, nobody gives a shit anymore. They, they say, nope, don't care, don't trust, don't want. Um, put all the guards up, put all the defense mechanisms up, don't want to be sold to. Now, you come at me through, I've got sweaty armpits or ketchup on my face because I'm that vulnerable, um, yeah. kind of open human connection is like, Oh my gosh, man, that's, it's just, it, it fires me up as a guy who's trying to like help companies do that. Um, but, but even deeper than that, I think it's this invitation into this shared human experience. I love your language there, man. Yeah. You, you, you know, you, you really capture that better than, 
than I did or I can. But I think about this one experience that, that um, I think about often. I was working with this company, this um, this influencer marketing firm, Terakeet, and they're really great. They do a lot of great work. Um, and I was on this team of people, and we what we do is we were our job was come up with like creative content, social media content to drive the 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 brand itself, the the firm's brand. So there's a girl on the team. She's really talented. When she still is really talented. Um, and she came up with this really great idea. And I know she had been, her name was Amanda and she'd been working on a bunch of really cool stuff. And it was, um, and I was like, oh man, we're in there. Like no one's gonna be good ideas. And she kind of pulled one like out of, it seemed like thin air. And afterwards I went over to her desk and I'm like, yo, that was fresh. And she's like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> but, you know, I'm like, you know, a lot of stuff going on. And she's like, well, look, man, Beyonce puts her pants on one leg at a time too. And I, I always love that though. I don't think that's true. I think Beyonce actually like, like there's like little fairies that, that like like Tinkerbell like helps her get her pants on, but um, Stefan's not at me because he because he knows it's true. But she, awesome. you know the the point was true. Like that relatability, like that's true. Jay Z has had ketchup on his face before. Um, if you can think about that, sometimes uh, you know I think about like I mentioned Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling will tell the story that she lived in her car and got like thousands of rejection letters. Yeah, man. Um, now that doesn't mean if you get a thousand rejection letters, you need to keep going. You need to. If you're gonna have faith in a still, like I'd love to play first base for the New York Mets, but um, that's just I'm in physically incapable of doing so, and always have been. So once you know what your limits are, then think that everybody else, if they can do it, you can do it. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it sounds cheesy until you've actually done something and proved yourself. Like, oh shit, I, I it turns out I can I can write. It turns out I can sing, um, stuff like that. Yeah, dude, and and it's you know the the marketing guru of all marketing gurus, Seth Godin, talks about you know, dancing with that fear and then like telling it where to go, <laughs> like not letting the fear dictate the, the reality. And I, I think that's, um, dude, it's, it's a poet, right? Like I, dancing with the fear, like everything that I read from him, you're like, oh, asshole. <laughs> you, oh yeah. You're like, oh, you dick. I wish I could say that like you did. And, and you do it every day, like every single day. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. For so sure. good. All right, man. Um, we're going to wrap here because I know you got a jet and you've got a hard stop. But let, 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 let's try to wrap in this way. Um, we've got five questions that we ask everybody at the, at the end of each show. But before I do that, um, help me understand because you're closer to it than me. I mean, I've got we've got a 16 year old daughter. So she's a sophomore in high school as our oldest. But from a, the f- directional future of the next wave that, that's coming out of Lemoyne and Syracuse and Mizzou and all, all across the country. Um, uh, dude, the, these, these, these kids, these young adults are total rock stars in a, but they've come, there, there's been so many labels and so much baggage and so much like, um, you know, insults from 40 pluses like us that, that, that assume a lot about their lives as opposed to yeah. getting to know their lives. Um, what do you see kind of a day in and day out basis of like, what could we be excited about for this next wave to, to help us with from a, whatever it is, economic perspective, human, human engagement perspective, storytelling perspective, like you're on the front lines. What do you, what do you see every day? Well, you know, they get, they get shit upon by all the older generations, but every generation does. So did like, we, right? Yeah. So did we like generation X people were like, Oh dude, all you care about is like punk rock and doing stupid shit. Um, and there's, a little bit of truth to that. And these people are all snowflakes, they say, but come on. Um, the older generations are responsible for the bad situations we're in in a lot of ways. And that's okay too, because you're humans. But this young generation now, they are socially brave. Like one of the things you notice about them are things that, that are, are, are foreign. I mean, not, their, their digital nativeness is, um, is cool, but like their ability to be plutonic friends with members of the opposite gender, huh. um, like that, that's, that's a foregone conclusion to them. And I think for our generations, older generations, that seems like a foreign thought and shame on us because of that. What needs to happen though, is they need to be supported. So like their, their ability to get information, a generation Z person, generation X, our generation can learn a, Z, a new task from like zero to, to being able to master it in 42 seconds, whether it's tying a shoe or something like that. And my numbers might be off a little bit, but, Generation Z can do it in 17 seconds because they've learned how to get information faster, whether that's because of their phone or whatever it is. So they've got all the tools and also they're willing to, to stand for things. They reward brands like Tom's and other brands that's for right. doing socially right. What they need to do is be allowed to do that. So uh, for parents and everybody else and teachers, like if you really support somebody and they found something that they can, that they can be good at and they love doing, then you need to let them do that. Uh, but make sure they can be good at it. Like if you tell someone 
you know, you're never going to be a rock star. Well, I don't know, man, like listen to them wail on a guitar and see if you think that. Um, but they, they need to, it's not like they need, they need to be coddled, but they'll be easy to dismiss you because they're smarter than you are. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the okay yeah. boomer thing, when people get offended by okay boomer, like bro, deal with it. Um, you, 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 you earned that, that disc that just got dropped on your face. Yep. So, it, it is back to that, that whole concept of where we approach them through the lens of ourselves, not through their lens, not through their experience, yeah. not through their, uh, you and know, they'll, they'll catch you with it. Like I, 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 them, I, I can, I'm authentic with them, but I'll say something like one of my students, they'll jokingly say, okay, boomer to me. And they know that drives me crazy because of my, I'm not a boomer, but to them, I, I guess I am. Yeah, right. But sometimes they'll say something and then I'll have to check myself and be like, Ooh, man, she might be right. Maybe I'm not thinking about this the way that I should. Mm. And that, that's something that, that I think that they just need to be given the chance to do what it is that they're going to do. Yeah, dude. So good. Last question on that, on that group. Um, do they, is there any shifting sand in terms of their digital, um, addiction is too strong. I think we all have an addiction of some sort to our digital device, but are, are you seeing a shift in, any like rebellion against device with them or is it all like, no, that's still, I, still their main experience. Well, I, I don't see a resistance against it, but I, I, you can tell some of their a maturity level of someone. And I, I've recently brought some really talented students to um, meet this really great um, auto marketing firm called spin car in Syracuse. And um, none of the students were on their phone during the meeting. That's and cool. They yeah. didn't thought to do that, right? So that's because they were either well raised or they just learned that that's respectful. So they they're not addicted to it. No more. Like I love when like I once saw um, someone, a friend of mine, yell at her son about get off that phone, and she had been on her phone the entire time yeah, we were. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, where where they do rebel against though is like like Facebook to them um, is a necessary evil. They they got to be on it because of Instagram and everything else, but they tend to gravitate towards places where they can, I don't want to say like be um, unrestricted, but like that's why Snapchat got big and now Snapchat's kind of like meh and like TikTok is, is growing up now. So yeah. I think they're going to be kind of fluid and keep gravitating towards um, things with new services and ways to tell their stories or maybe protect their stories. But they're definitely not giving up on the devices, but they're also not any more addicted than anybody else is. I mean, I tell people, hey, man, how often do you and we, you and I do this for a living? You do it more than I do in terms of managing organic social media. And you'll say to somebody like a client, how often do you check Instagram? They're like three times a day, bro. Liar. You're checking it 50 times a day, you know, <laughs> liar. <laughs> you're lying. Yeah, no, I mean, it, the, the anecdotes are everywhere, but it's like it was 60 degrees in KC the other day, which is for us super nice at this. It, you know, it was late February. Um, and so we took our kids to the park, we're on a hike doing the thing, like playing, going down the slide, right? Like super, super suburban. And, uh, and that's and, a commercial right there. Yeah. And dude, I've, I've became the city right now. Yeah, I've been this guy more, more times than I'd ever want to admit, but I watched this mom, this, this, and she had one kid there. I don't know if she has more than one kid or whatever, but she, her son's at the top of the slide. Mom, watch, look at me, mom, I'm about to go down the slide. Mom, mom, mom. He's begging for her attention. And she's literally, I mean, I don't know what she's looking at. She's scrolling something, looking at Facebook, doing her thing. And I was like, fudge, man, like your your kid, your actual real human son is right here, like begging you to pay attention to him. And so, yeah, it's not a, it, it's, it, yeah, it's, and again, I've been that guy a million times, unfortunately. Yeah, me too, me too. But th- you, we got to catch ourselves and be like, all right, all right, hold on. What's no. real? What's authentic? Yep, yes, that's right. Com isn't going anywhere. All right, dude. I, I could talk about this all day, and I wish I wish we could. So we'll do it again. Um, but before we go, so here's the here's the five quick questions. So for five questions, if you're listening, Spatchcock Funk on YouTube, SpatchcockFunk.com. Get all over it. Yeah, and, and we'll. I was going to ask you at the end how people can follow around, follow you. Oh, so so there we go. Spatchcock edit, edit Funk. Shit out. Cut cut that. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, and we'll we'll link to it for sure as well. So. Uh, number one, what is the last book that you have read or listened to? Oh, or a um, book? Well, the last book, the, the last book I'm reading right now is a book I'm rereading for, um, for one of my classes. Um, it's Ogilvy on advertising, huh. which is just, just a classic piece of, of um, advertising type brilliance. So that's the last book I read um, for, uh, for professional purposes. The one from a personal pur- purpose was... Um, Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Nice. Helps with the cooking show, I bet. Yeah. I love it. Um, what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? If you could dance with your fear? What would I do or how? Yeah. How, what would I 
What, what would that look like? If you weren't afraid, what would you do? Oh man. So the fears that I have now aren't like, they're more so I don't want to like go broke and not be able to support my family or, um, let some people down and things like that. So I don't know. I, I I'd like to think it's doing, I, I do know it would be doing more of, of what I'm doing now, like making more time to do that, whether yeah. it's, um, more time with the cooking show, like maybe it would be going, I couldn't go all in on the cooking show. Cause I really love teaching. I don't think I could give that up. So if they don't want me back here, I'd have to go find that somewhere else. But, um, it would be probably more, do more of that. Like say, like, I like working on a lot of my client work, but sometimes like, Oh, we're working on like a commercial drill press. That's not as exciting to me as it would be to do something else. So yeah. maybe like that. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, what's your favorite t-shirt? Uh, so I have thousands. Well, I've worn thousands of t-shirts. There's hundreds in my house. And my wife makes me throw out like two a week. And on our cooking show, we wear a different t-shirt every time. I wore one that Colin gave me that was like the NBA jams. Had like uh, Mark oh. Price on there and his dunk thing was down to zero because he couldn't dunk, which was cool. <laughs> but out of, the, out of all the t-shirts that I own right now, um, my favorite go-to one is either it's uh, the album cover from Jimi Hendrix um, uh, from a Jimi Hendrix album or um, one I wear a lot too, but someone has, said, has mentioned the other day that they've seen me wear them multiple times, so I'm moving out of my rotation. It's a Death Row Records t-shirt. Love it. So good, dude. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, all right, number four, what's your favorite place on earth? Oh, I was just talking about this with Stefan. It's probably uh, New Orleans. Really? Up there too, but New Orleans is pretty awesome. I like, I've always, my wife and I go there a lot. I'd like to, every time we're there, I'm like, we should move here, but I'd be dead in a month if I did. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you should, side note, you should listen. I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, Jim Eaton was on our show, Outlaw Jim and the Whiskey Benders, and he did. Oh, yeah, awesome. he's a he's a deep voiced country, old school, like old, like legit country, like Merle Haggard country KC guy, um, who played music on Bourbon Street for like a long time. And has has and his quote was, he's like, I'm just fortunate that I've outlived my bad decisions. That was one of his quotes he said on the show. <laughs> I was like, that's a, such a good, such a I good. Hope we, I hope we can all live to that. That's awesome. Yeah, me too. All right, last one, bro. When it's all said and done, um, what do you want to be remembered for? You know, uh, th th that's an easy one. Um, my father-in-law, I think about him a lot with that type of question. And he, he's a gigantic Dodgers fan. And Jackie Robinson um, would talk about that. What's important is how, is how people remember you. So, like, my Angelou said it too, but it's I want people to think that I made them feel good, empowered them, or gave them gave them something to make their lives better. So at the end of the day, because people aren't going to remember like, oh, shit, remember that commercial that this dude made in the 80s? They don't care about that. Um, but rather, they remember how people made them feel. So I hope you remember that. that that's, that's what I'm hoping for. So awesome, bro. I love it. All right, so Spatchcock Funk. Um, where else do you want people to, to online digitally stalk so you? The first place is go to YouTube, go to Spatchcock Funk, and follow it. We need subscribers. Um, check out our website. Well, you'll see the same content there. We're on the gram trying to share content every day and we love feedback too. So shoot us an email. If you have ideas, notes, like we want to interact with other people. So um, like, like this was awesome. Like I want, I want to hear your answer to those five questions. Like, you know, you should be a guest on your own show because you, you've got a lot of cool insights to say. Well, dude, I appreciate that. We, we've talked about that because people are like, dude, what's guild content? What's guild stories and all this? So we, we probably will do that and need to. Um, yeah, man, that'd be fun. So what, dude, last question. Where did you get the, how do you name your entities? Because you've got great names. Okay, so um, for the cooking show, we wanted to have something that was food related and also something that represented like our brand. So we went through a ton of names. I've, I've told the story before about um, what, like we thought about like sex drugs, sex drugs and lobster rolls or different things. And we, what we've, <laughs> we ended up with Spatchcock Funk because Spatchcock is how you butterfly a chicken, but it, it kind of comes out as like a double entendre. People are like, well, what's that name mean? Like that's perverted. Like, no, get your mind out of the gutter. That's how you cut open a chicken, dude. And awesome. Funk is from Rene Renegades of Funk by Rage Against the Machine, their, their cover of that song anyways, and we love them. But the, like Royal Punk Android, the, the, on the website it'll say, so this is how we come up with names. The Spatchcock Funk, that was the formula we decided, something about food and about our brand that would be cool on a t-shirt. So there's that. That's, that's the way you should do it. But for Royal Punk Android, actually, I was with my wife and my buddy Jared after a basketball game. We went to this dive bar 
eating chicken wings and drinking beer and I was starting to get some business and they're like, what are you gonna call it? And I'm just like Royal Punk Android because it sounded like a cool band name. <laughs> and then afterwards built in, well, Royal because of tradition and Punk because we buck tradition, we have to and Android because we build ourselves. So we built that story back into it. That's great. So when you come up with names, think about how bands name themselves. Like Pearl Jam was originally called Mookie Blaylock and the NBA is like, mm, yeah, no, no, you're not naming your band after Mookie Blaylock. So then the album name, name became 10. Like that's what I come up with a cool name and you can make something cool around it. Like that's Nike right. got us the Roman goddess of victory, but I mean, I don't know what a, what a lot of different robot chickens are. I mean, those are cool and the name is cool. So that that's, that's the process. <laughs> Dude. I love it, Matt. Thanks so much for your time, bro. Um, Thank you. and, and, awesome. Yeah. Sorry, I, can't, I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. All right, my friend. <laughs>